You're listening to the life of Tri. It's triathlon for your ears. We are. We're going. This is this is good. How are you, Maka? Really good, mate. Really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been a while since I've had a chat to you, mate. It's uh, you just we're just having a quick chat off off the air. I don't know why we did that, but um, ten years since you've retired. Well, no, that... not quite ten. Almost ten. I, was, I retired in two thousand and twelve. Was the last year I I committed to being a professional, but I'd signed a whole bunch of deals because I won a world title in two thousand twelve. But I moved to Asia and I was done. I'd checked out. So, yeah, it's eight years. Well, coming into nine because this year didn't really Jesus. count, did it? No. <laughs> no. How's your year been? Is it? I mean, what? I mean, I say this to every person I've spoken to, I think the 18 or 19 of these things that I've done, and it's just what a fucked up year. Like what a completely messy arrangement for everyone. Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny. Be careful what you wish for because I, I think the last eight years I've probably been the busiest I've ever been in my life. And so many times I'd be sitting on planes flying from – I was living in Thailand and working out of Singapore and London – and uh, saying, oh, geez, I just want everything to slow down and spend some time with my family and not do anything. And just, well, I got it in 2020 and we got stuck here. Stuck's a big word, but we, I came down to Australia to plan a, a bike trip with a group of, for a group of American mates of mine in February. And then literally the borders were stuck. I got my family home and we've been in our house in Sydney ever since. So it was a very disruptive year. But, you know, I, I've enjoyed it because I have spent a lot of time with the kids and and and. And my daughter, who's been at boarding school here, she's been home with us. Um, so it's been, you know, when we've had it pretty easy, honestly, in Australia. Like you guys in Melbourne, not so much, but in Australia, we, um, you know, up here in Sydney, it's it's been, you know, pretty normal, right? I, I can't complain. So I've, I've been mm. the year, but I've, I'm definitely got itchy feet. It's time to get back to doing <laughs> what I like, and I'm hoping the world opens up in 2021, and I'm back to yeah, back to work and back to travel and and, and doing what I do. You were, you, you, I know you were racking the miles. I remember like following you on social and it's just every five seconds you've just leapt around and then you've just gone from, as you were saying, to all those places. It's not as glamorous though, is it, when you're doing the travel? It, it's it's hard yards, isn't it, to, to consistently just be lapping the world? Yeah, it's hard yards. I think work, you know, any professional triathlete, you know, they live in a bubble, man, like I know I did because it's not work. You're doing something you absolutely adore and love and, and, um, and you're really – your output never changed. You deliver the same thing. You just put more logos on you, you get paid more money, right? Like it's not, nothing really changed in your life. But when you, when you, when you retire and you get into the, into the workplace, you know, you, your income is measured by the output you put out. So you actually have to deliver shit. And that was, uh, <laughs> you know, that was uh, tough. So yeah, I was living on airplanes trying to set up the things I was doing with Super League and Bahrain Endurance and Phoenix team. And I was working at Tanjapura. So I, I'm, I think I'm hyperactive at heart and, and naturally, you know, I've always got to be doing something, and uh, and yeah, so it was it was tough. You know, I, I a few times there when I, you know, I think I was on an airplane two hundred, you know, two hundred days out of a year one time, and so it's it was a lot of travel. How do you then? So if you're like really hyperactive and stuff, how do you then, like this year being you know somewhat confined? And you're right, I, th- I think Australia. You know, when you see what happened in Europe, and you know, I mean, the first podcast I did was with David McNamee, who was talking about apartments not even opening up when they opened up the first time and because his neighbors had died you know and like and seeing stuff like that is just must be fucking horrendous um we kind of got a a, a, the light version i would have thought not to sort of 
yeah. put a light coat on it because people died. I, I, I get that. But we kind of got a, a from what everyone else did. So you being locked down though and being hyperactive, what do you do then to, to sort of, I guess, keep your mind ticking over? Are you doing obviously a bunch of work online, et cetera, but yeah. it's a different style? Yeah, I was doing this whole work from home thing and in inverted commas everyone was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I must admit, I'm not a, a a computer type of guy. I'm a face-to-face worker, and uh, so I did. Yeah. You know, I did struggle, and and for me, we have a, we had our offices. We run the Super League Triathlon Series, and my most of my business is run out of Singapore, and we just moved our company, the Super League um, part of our company, to London. Uh, Eighteen, well, more than eighteen, twenty five months ago now, this whole year's gone. And uh, <laughs> so I was commuting a lot between London and, 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 and Singapore where we were living. I was living in Thailand, but Singapore, Thailand, same place. Um, so yeah, I, when I came back here, it was, you know, obviously Australia is literally the bottom of the world. So it was the worst time zone dealing with my guys in London. We, we closed down the offices in Singapore because we only had a small crew there and most of them were working around the stuff I was doing. So I just put everyone on, on furlong as they call it. And and uh, but I was sitting up till two and three in the morning, and I really started to get uh, depressed. Is the wrong word, but I was really, really flat. And at first, I was thinking, oh, maybe it's just an adjustment to to not being able to get things done. But I think it was a mix of this these late nights, relatively unhealthy. You know, like I was sitting around a lot more, um, and just not not moving. I, I felt like I wasn't moving forward. So I, str- I definitely struggled. But I, what I tried to do as as my wife sort of kicked me into gear and said to me, look, you. How many times did you used to come home going, oh, I'd just love to be home for a few months? Well, adopt that. You're home now for a few months. Why don't you do all the things you said you wanted to do? So I just started plugging back into the family, which whilst people may say, oh, it's just, that's what everyone does. It was it was a, a learning curve because I was so transient within, our, within my family. I'd home for a week and then I'd be gone for a week and I'd be back for a week. And that was always the lifestyle I'd had as an athlete and 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 there's a and when I was working but now I've been home for the whole period of time I take my son to school we go surfing we go surfing in the morning we go to school pick up my daughter and and I've really tried to to focus my attention on them and then work into the evening but said to all the guys in London look you've got me till 11 p.m then I want to sleep because I just thought I'm going to get my health back you know do the things try and try and take control of my life and that sort of brought me out the other side I sort of got my head around it around August September and the last few months I've actually loved it and enjoyed everything I've been doing. It's so underrated, isn't it? The whole sort of sleep cycle and getting into sleep. And, and, you know, one of the key messages I think people have missed in this whole COVID is that, you know, you've got to look after your body. You've got to like vaccines and all that stuff's fine, but also just that natural immunity that you can bring by, you know, proper sleep and proper diet and, you know, looking after yourself. I think that's a bit underrated as well. And that needs to probably be more of a bigger global national conversation around that. I mean, you look at what's going on in the states at the moment and 48 percent of their population is obese so if you get COVID over there then you know you're in a real world of hurt because it's gonna it's gonna hurt you um and that conversation almost is missing in in here it's all about you know masking and social distance but i also felt tacked onto that there needed to be that look after yourself you oh, know like eat well for sure sleep well. i'm with you on that and i i know this i've always been a relatively you know, outside, you know, when I was finished racing, I, you know, after a race, I'd go and party a bit, but I was always bed at nine. I had a very regimented routine when you're a professional athlete. So I'd be bed at nine and I was always an early riser. So when I flicked that around over here and I was up until one and two, three in the morning, I'd still wake up at 6.30. It was a big sleep in seven o'clock and, and yeah, and just the consistency of lack of sleep 
it's it's so unhealthy and i felt yeah. horrible and i i felt run down and and it, it plagues you mentally when when all this was happening i wasn't getting the sleep i was snacking and not eating proper you know proper meals it, just everything about me felt horrible and i went enough's enough i'm done i'm taking control of my life i had the opportunity to do that and and seizing control of my health again and and just basically saying to my team this is how it's going to work you work around me um, I'm down here in Australia, so I'm happy to get up early and talk to you guys in the evening. Or if you want me, I'm done at 11. That's the latest I'm staying up. And and, and I've sort of implemented that. And it's actually worked. And you realize people will work around that. And I feel a million percent. I was able to, mm. I've joined the gym again. I've gone running with my wife. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very happy health-wise with where I am at the moment. Because there was a period there from March through to probably June, July. I caked on about 10 kilos. And uh and I just, I just felt crap. Yeah, so I'm very, very happy yeah. with things are now. But I, I reckon I've been using those sleep apps on the on the iWatch. Um, yep. I, I reckon they're just – I just get – I mean, I was out surfing the other day too and I, I was watching heart rate and just looking to see what my, my body was doing. Obviously, uh, having scaled the lofty <laughs> heights of age grouper <laughs> in, in being an athlete, um, and I use that word very, very loosely, but, um, you know, you, you're used to being active and used to being fit and, and – it's just interesting how all that works and you see all the new technology around that you can wear and go to bed and it tells you what you've slept and all that kind of yeah. stuff. It's, it is fascinating, isn't it, to see what your body's doing when you're not consciously looking at it. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, as we age up, and that's what we're all doing, as we start to get older, you, 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 things don't I, – I think age punishes the, the – you know, you, it punishes mistakes where youth forgives them to some degree. You can get away with things when you're a lot younger. Now I, <laughs> I, I realise these little tweaks to – little changes that would never have affected me, you know, 15, 20 years ago now have a massive effect on my mood and everything during the day. So I think it's, it's, it's imperative that you, you use these sort of things to, to help to ensure that you're getting the sleep to me is the most underrated thing on the planet, even for athletes. And, and it's all mm. this bravado attached with, ah, oh, you know, he's asleep, he's lazy. You know, there's an, an element of, of laziness attached to sleep where it's actually the most important thing you can possibly do, you know, like I yeah. so underrated yeah. and it's so under talked about. And uh, I've just, I've been really, really conscious to try and make sure I nail that eight hour sleep. I darken my rooms now. Whilst I've been home here in, in Sydney, I drop the temperature into the room, put the air conditioning on, then turn it off when we go to sleep and then boom, I've been sleeping like a rock. I've, I've loved it. And like I said, everything's changed. Mood, my, my enthusiasm, just my ability to hang out with the kids and, and just I'm just more present, which is uh, this is all built yeah. sleep. It's been yeah, it's been a real learning curve. I loved it. It's it's hard. Is it, how hard is it to to just circling back to what you were saying about you know originally about you know being retired? How hard is it to to like look yourself in the in the eye and go that's I'm cooked? You know, like you clearly wrung out a fair bit out of your career because it was so successful. Um, but when you look in your mind's eye and you go, you know what? It's, I'm done. When did you know? When did it finally drop for you to say, you know what, that's that's it. I'm done. I was, uh, I think I was ready to retire around 2008, 2009. I, I went a few more years later. It just becomes a business at that point. You know, I'd achieved the things I wanted to achieve, and then um, I'd had three kids at, at that point. I was my third child, son, my, my son, my third child, Flynn, my son, was born in 2010. Um, so we were talking as a family about, and we'd been living overseas, my wife and I, for so long, and we're talking about coming back to Australia and what we're going to do. And you're starting to to put into your head post-career. You know, a lot of athletes think about that after retirement. I was really thinking about that 
at the peak of my career, how I was going to transition out. And so I was ready to go, mentally ready to go in 2009. I, was, I thought I was going to win Kona that year. Um, I'd lost it in 2008 with a mechanical. I'd won in 2007. Craig Alexander beat me in, won in 2008. He finished second to me in, in, in 2007. I had a mechanical that year, and I thought, oh, I'll come back in 2009. It's Crowey. You know, I've beaten Crowey my whole career. I'll beat him again. But Crowey became a, a monster of the sport. He was, he, he was incredible at the Ironman racing. And um, he, he won again in 2009. I remember thinking, oh, my God, Crowey. Crowey's won two Konas. I've won one. He's only done it three times. I've done it like five times. Like, oh my God. Like, and and I think at that point, you know, had I won in 2009, I probably would have retired. Um, and, but it didn't happen. And, and I think had it potentially been someone, I don't say this any with any disrespect to Craig, but had it been someone 10 years younger than me, I probably, would, like had Jan Fredino beat me then, I probably went, well, it's, it's, it's a new era. But Craig's the same age as me. You know, we, so it wasn't as if it, I didn't see it as a changing of the guard in the sense that it was a new generation. I just saw it as, well, maybe you got lucky. And and I guess I, I verbalised that and it created a rivalry that was, was great for both of us, I guess. And and so I came back in 2010 to win and, and I retired from Kona on the stage in 2010 after winning. But, you know, you sign all these deals, you're the world champion and you realise, look, uh, so I, I, I need to keep racing. Um, in some capacity and because I've got these four, four or five years worth of deals and I'm, I'm making a lot of money to do something I love. So I, I, I pivoted and, and my wife calls it my midlife crisis. I said, I'm going to try and make the Olympics because I'd really checked out, right? I'd really, I don't really want to do this anymore, but I was still, you know, the sport still wants you to be there because you're the acting world champion. But I, I said, I'll try to make the Olympics and I was 38 years of age. But, you know, I was really at that point in my career looking at securing deals and looking at what I was going to do post-career because I knew, you know, athletes aren't wine. You don't, you don't age well. You, you age out. You don't get better. So uh, <laughs> I, was, I was really mentally prepared to go around 2009, 2010. It just happened to be that I was very successful then and just had to use that success to the best way I could to open up those networks that allow me to transition better into what I wanted to do post-career. So by 2012, I did that ITU long. I didn't make the Olympics in London. I was first reserve for Australia. Went up to watch London Olympics with the team. Took my kids. We had a, an amazing time. And then I went down and did the ITU long course world championships in Spain and, and won that off the back of that Olympic prep. Thought that'll do me. I'm done. And so <laughs> came back. Tap out. Yeah, I didn't want to tell my sponsors that because most of your contracts say if you retire, we can step out. So I just basically hit all the targets that I had to do in my contract race six times a year. But by then I took a role in, in Thailand building Tanyapura and uh, we moved to, to Asia as a family. And, and, and that was sort of my transition out. And I, I plubbed around in a few, I did Ironman um, cans and these sort of events, but I was out. I mentally checked out. You can't compete at that level unless you're all in. And I was definitely one, one foot in one foot out at that point in my career. I remember chatting to you on the bike at, um, cans i reckon that year <laughs> you were crook as a dog oh yeah 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 oh mate yeah. i'd never seen you look so ill and i was just like man this is yeah but you were still laughing your way through it and it, i guess with the pressure off too with those wins that year of 2010 i think one of the best things i saw was that triathlete magazine uh training day Oh, where I think it was in July. I want to say it was in July in Auburn, and you February, pretty much in Bob with Bob Babbitt. I went. There. Yeah, it was at Feb, was it? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and you just basically outlined how you're going to win. Well, the the, the irony is, and, and you can say it in hindsight. At the time, people are so 
you know, enthralled in what's happening and, and everyone. So I always say for, at that point, it was sort of the beginning of social media and everyone had a, everyone had an opinion and, and, you know, mm. and, and I, I sort of went out and as I said, it was Craig had won like, and, and I'm like, I race Craig, I know to the, to the general public and the amateurs at the time and even today, and, and Craig's an absolute legend, but he was still a, a peer that I'd grown up since juniors with racing. And at that point in my career, you know, now my win to loss ratio against Craig was it fell well and truly in my favour. Um, you know, he became a much better Ironman athlete than I think I ever was, especially in Kona in hot races. Uh, he was amazing, but I, I I honestly believed I could beat him. And and but at the time he'd won two titles, I'd won one, and I was always renowned for stating my intentions. But I I, I believed everybody was blinded by the illusion they were watching. I said, you watch, you watch results not races like if you watch a race you'll understand my 2009 kona i had my career worst swim i don't know what went wrong i got out behind norman stadler if i got out where i normally get out with craig i won the race right but no one wanted to look that no one could acknowledge that so I, that's when i went to i went back to i was living in the states i went i was sponsored by under Armour at the time we went down to auburn alabama to to redesign my my suits and and i was there i met with bob babbitt and i said that to bob i was like look this is how you're going to win Kona, like it's Craig. He's not a very good bike rider. At that, he became better. Um, <laughs> That's just such a ballsy thing to pull out there, though, wasn't it? Like, you know, like, do you know what you're doing? Did you know? I mean, you you must have known how that's going to get received. I, I sort of did, but I I thought, like, like if, you, if you if if this was baseball or boxing, and I'm a massive boxing fan, you know, mm. I uh, like you you have that. He, he doesn't have a good right hook. It's not a negative. It's like anyone who I thought anyone who watches the sport would know. Craig's a, he's a, he's he's a little bit like Welshy. He's strong enough to stay with the group, which which still means he's strong on the bike. But he's not a dictator of of terms on the bike. Yeah. If you apply yeah. bike pressure, you can break him, right? But but and but he he was so hugely physically fit. He was amazingly. He's the fittest guy. He's still a fitness fanatic. He was a he's triathlon's the perfect sport for him because he's a fitness fanatic and he was able to express his fitness in in a in triathlon. And mm. you know, so when I said it, it was yeah. I, I guess I was talking to Craig. Because you knew he'd watch it, but I, uh, I, I also thought many, many of the, the the journalists or the people that really knew the sport, and Bob was one of those, would say, "Yeah, okay, he's he's stating the facts here a little bit, right?" And you just had to look at this. You just had to look at results to know that he, Craig had ride two thirteen, we'd ride two oh four, like, but he would run seventy minutes. We would we would run seventy three and a half. You know, he was a much better yeah. runner. So when I was stating that, I was, when I and I called it in Auburn, and I said, "Look." You know, Marino, the, uh, Andreas Rayler, Norman. The, if we want to beat this guy, we can't settle on the on the climb up to between Kwai High Harvey and Kwai High. So most of the time, we used to get out of the water. The front group would roar through town. It'd be really aggressive out past the airport. People would settle. You know, Lieto would tend to make his move out towards Harvey. Some people would try to go with him. The German train with Stadler and that would come across. And a lot of people would sort of form in that front group and just sort of sit there and sort of settle all the way back. Now, if you watch Kona, exactly what happened in 2010 is the new normal. Everyone's aggressive the whole entire bike ride. But at that point, it was it was still a, a you know all the horror stories. Everyone used to talk about patience and biding your time and delivering 240 marathons, you know, the, and that would win the race. And history showed it did. But for me, I was like calling out the guy saying, "If we want to beat this guy, if we get in a running race, with Craig Alexander, 100, percent you're going to lose. The guy's phenomenal. You turn the temperature up, this guy's going to run 240 every day of the week." Right, mm. so if you want to roll the dice on that, roll the dice. I don't really want to roll the dice on that. I I know we can we can drop him out to Harvey. We need to make that break there, 
And and if we do, we'll have 10 minutes on the guy. And then we can run 245. He's not going to run 235. We win. And and that's basically what happened. And a lot of the I, I was racing, I was racing a lot in Europe at the time. Craig wasn't an athlete. He he tended to stay in America. His his career was very American centric. I used to to race Frankfurt and Roth every year and do all, all the 70.3s in Europe. I, I liked my Europe time. And so I knew a lot of these guys, Marino and, and Andy and you know Andy Booker and, and and I was saying to them all year, but they 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 were blinded by the by the the fact that the guy was a two-time champion. And they're like, oh we can't beat him. And I'm like, mate, I've known this guy since I was 15 years of age. Like he sucks on the bike. <laughs> if we attack, we'll get away. And uh, and it worked out that way. He obviously went back, sharpened his tools, and refined that bike ride. In 2011, he became a biker. And that's testament to the ability of Craig Alexander. But at that point in his career, and at that point, there was an opportunity. I seized it, and we took it. We exploited it, and, it, and ultimately ended in, in the 2010 race with, with me and, and Andy having that showdown. And I remember sitting in the, in, the, in the medical tent after, and Andy shook my hand, saying, mate, you were right. I said, I told you, man. Told you, <laughs> but it, it you know, I mean, you know, stranger, that kind of thing. I, the, the idea that you love boxing, we always on first off the bike used to call you that sort of boxer trapped in a triathlete's body. Like you, your ability for self promotion was evident, but also like well timed. Like people talked about that for for months. The 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 value you get out of that interview, sure, you give up your time to go and do some filming and and talk to Bob Babbitt, but what you the leverage you get out of that was enormous and i think you know you're one of the best marketers that we've seen in the sport you just it's just you, you always seem to get it right those rivalries though were they real like i mean were the 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 one with um stadler there was i mean lotha leader as well <laughs> like there's a you, there was a couple of people you pulled their tails how real was that is it real or is it just is it all bullshit no it was it was a very different era nowadays people social media is the is the beast nowadays so you know back then we relied on the media to write about us. So I didn't have the luxury of controlling my brand by putting an Instagram, beautiful manufactured filtered photo of myself and, and, mm. and pretending I'm Confucius and giving some people some advice on my Instagram post, which seems to be the common thread nowadays. Back then I relied on, on the media to, to, to write about me, to say things, to promote me. So you had to, if you were quiet, you were invisible because no one wrote about you. So if in order to, to add value, you had to say Atlantis stuff and, and, and to be honest, like I, I, when I became a triathlete, my father was ridiculously disappointed in my decision to leave banking and become a triathlete and um, thought it was the worst decision in my life and, and gave me some advice. He said, if you're going to do this, you have to do it properly. You've got a finite amount of time in this sport and this is your business. You can't leave this at 40 and what, start your life at 40? Like this is a job, Chris. So whatever it takes, you have to treat it professionally, make sure you maximize the value that for yourself and your family that you can create for yourself out of your performances. And, you know, he said, win on Sunday, sell on Monday. Right. Uh, and so for me, I, I really took that seriously and winning those titles, you know, people nowadays, it's very, you know, and I understand it's nice. It's all right to be nice, but I was, it was, I was obsessed, you know, I, it was, it, it was, you know, you, there can be only one, you know, there has to be one yeah. you know, and, and it does get crowded and multiple egos and personalities want to win that title. And, and it clashes during the way. And, and I have immense respect for the guys because they thought the same way as I did. So with Norman, you know, Norman and I had raced through juniors together, junior worlds in 92 and 93. We knew each other and we went, and I always said Norman went to Ironman because he had no choice. And I had an ITU career, but Norman could never swim. So he didn't have an ITU career. 
So when I came across to Ironman racing, you know, in 2002, I, I thought I came across on my terms where a lot of the athletes I saw in Ironman were basically the, the athletes that couldn't cut it in the, in the short course. So, and, I, and that was absolutely ignorant of me to think that. And I know a lot of the, I have this conversation with a lot of ITU athletes, Alistair Brownlee, who, who is suffering that at the moment, just because you've got a massive ITU career, sure you have the engine, it doesn't guarantee instant success in Ironman. It can be a very painful game unless you give your life to it. And uh, mm. at that point, I think, you know, I ruffled a lot of feathers because I came across as world champion of the Ironman saying I'm going to win Kona in my first attempt. And um, it didn't happen. I won my first Ironman on my first attempt, beat the world champion. I won, you know, so I, I, in my head, I hadn't lost a race for three years. So when I turned up to Kona in 02, I, I just imagined I was going to win. I just thought it was a long triathlon. What's different? You know, like I've won every triathlon I've done in the last three years. Why am I going to lose this one? I've done one Ironman. I won it. And I'm in Australia. And Peter Reeve was there. He's the defending Ironman world champion. Oh, well. didn't, he, didn't he retire for eight minutes yeah, or something after right. that? Yeah. Like, I mean, like, it was, it was, so in my head, yeah, I, 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 I did, you know, I was young and, and yeah, it, to me, it was just, I had this killer, this ITU killer, inst, killer app, instant, that's the title. It's mine. Get through me to get it. And if you want to get through me, we're going to fight for it. And there's no pleasantries here. And I sort of had that attitude and it, it, it was a grisly attitude to some degree. And it, and it, and Ironman Hawaii humbled me to some degree and, and, and I softened a lot, but I, I realized the power of, of second guessing yourself because when I fight, when you, when I failed so many times in Kona, despite being the favorite year after year going in and walking to the finish line, self doubt becomes an, a, a, a horrific, like a cancer that plagues you and you become very, very touchy and you, you sort of retreat a lot more, even though you've got this bravado, you, you are in, inside behind closed doors. I was a frightened man. I was a frightened boy. What if I never win this thing? You know, I'm going to be the best guy to never win this thing. Like, it's not a guarantee. And there's a lot of athletes, Lionel Sanders and these guys, who have all the talent to win it. Doesn't mean they're going to win it just because you've got the talent. You actually have to deliver on a day. And and that becomes insidious. It becomes in, it becomes very, very heavy. And with, with Norman in 2006, I, you know, I'd finished fifth in 2005, I, second in 2006 in a war with Norman and, and a race. I, I gave, still to this day, I think it's, my best ever Kona performance was the year I got second to Norman. Norman was, the, if you remember that, it was the beginning of this, the speed suits. You know, before that, we saw Tuck out yep. Winglet. So Norman had, was the first ever wear this blue 70 wetsuit speed suit that is now common nowadays. And he got out of the water with us. And he was usually four minutes back. We were all in our, in our tucked in um, speedos. And uh, he was gone on the bike and he dropped the you know, bike course record that day. And I, I thought I could run a, a 240 marathon. And I banked everything and I stayed with the group and I've been working all year and I delivered that 243 marathon and I was beaten by Norman who dropped his best marathon. But I was absolutely, I was absolutely top of the moon, ecstatic with that performance. So uh, I hadn't won Kona, but I, I dropped my best performance there. I delivered everything I had. I ended up in the medical tent and I remember my father standing over me in the medical tent after a second IV drip in me going, why do you do this? You don't need this in your life. <laughs> you've got two beautiful kids this is like this is ridiculous and i and i said dad i've got to win this thing one day but i'm on the right track and i remember being up on stage um after that race and you know for the first time up there and as a as a runner up in a kona you know i was thinking christian bustos did this you know like all my heroes had been you know jürgen zach had done this thomas Helregel had done this you know like they'd been second in kona i'm a somebody like i've i've got something i can live with for the rest of my life right and uh, 
and it was the beginning. I remember coming off stage, and I, I remember feeling a bit grisly with with Norman. And and the year before, Faris had won, and Faris and Norman were were, were fighting. Faris or Sultan. Yeah, who was third that year in twenty in yeah. 06, wasn't he? Yeah, and he was third that year. So I split the two Germans, but those two guys weren't talking. So Norman, so you got to understand the dynamics of what Norman had won Kona in two thousand four. It's exactly what Jan Frodeno and 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 Patrick Langer have been through, right? And I, I had this exact conversation with Jan in Bahrain one time. I said Norman had won in two thousand four, the king, right? Two thousand five, he has the meltdown, flat day, and um, and <laughs> Faris Al Sultan wins. So Norman's not only lost his world title. And I did it with Crowe. You've lost the world title to a person from the same country. So you're not even the best in your country anymore, right? But, <laughs> but that's that was the same with me and Crowe. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's difficult pill to swallow. So that, that, that creates a grisliness because you're competing to be somebody and to, to, to satisfy your sponsors and satisfy everything with someone who's very, very close. It'd be a lot easier to deal with if they've lived in another country, but they didn't. So those two guys weren't talking. And then there was me in the mix. And then we come back in 2006. I come and I split these two guys. And in the group, you know, Norman's gone. I've been riding with Farris and doing my stuff. And I end up running away from Farris. And so Norman wins. I'm second. Farris is third. And so they get up on stage. And I remember Norman, you know, I'm shaking Farris's hand. And they said something in gym. And then he sort of shook my hand and sort of, yeah, good race. And then did his speech. And I remember coming off the stage. And I was friends with these guys at that point. Farris, I didn't really know. But Norman, very good friends, not very good friends, but I felt I had a good relationship with the guy, very respectful. I trained with him in San Diego for years. We trained in Germany together as, as juniors. And uh, and I got off the stage and, and a guy called Brian Lavelle, which is Becky Lavelle's husband, handed me a Blackberry. It's the beginning of phones that, that you can check emails on. And Tripoint yeah. Magazine had just done a, a an interview with, with Norman and he basically – attacked me said oh mate Macca should be ashamed of himself he sat in on the bike I'm thinking how the fuck would you know what I did you were 10 minutes up the road my life and I'm reading this this interview going you prick like you snotty little <laughs> bastard right and and so I feel so I I boiled like I we're Australians like you don't backstab you confront someone right if you've got a problem you go mate I've got a problem with you and so I said where is this guy and I had all my, I'd just done a new deal with Under Armour. So all the Under Armour guys are there and I, I lost my shit. My agent was trying to calm me down. I said, mate, no, 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 no. Where is he? And I rolled into this party at the, at the brewery in Kona and I saw him and I walked over. I said, hey, Norman, come here, mate. Can I have a chat with you for a second? And he was, obviously, he's the champ, right? He had all his entourage around him. He's the king. He's happy, two-time champion. And he's like, if you have something to say, you say it to me. You say it here in front of everybody. I said, mate, what's with the article? Like, what are you calling me out? I'm not just some upstart, mate. Like, I've world junior champion. You know, I've done world ITU world champion. I've won Ironmans. I've kicked your ass for years, mate. I'm not some nobody. How fucking dare you attack me? He's like, mate, I've won two titles. You've won none. And I'm like, mate, tell you how this is going to go down, pal. You will never beat me again. To, to, mate, mark my words, everyone. And I'm going to retire you from this sport. Every fucking race you do, I'm going to go to and kick the shit out of you. You know it and I know it. So enjoy your night, pal. Enjoy your night, but, mate, know that you are dead. Any race you've done now, you ever do in your life, I'm going to be there and I kick the shit out of you. I don't care if I come second last, you'll be last. I don't care who else beats me. My whole life is about destroying you, mate. You snotty little upstart. Right? You're a nobody. You're a little. T- uh, we just had this massive fight. And then I found Farris, had the same conversation with Farris. I said, how dare you attack me, mate? I didn't. I was, ask anyone, Lukey Bell, anyone. We... 
But you were in the group as much as we were all. There was draft marshals. We all sat in the group. We got dropped by Stadler. Well, it wasn't my fault. The guy's a machine, right? And, and Faris Leone and Kelsey, mate, same thing. Any race you go to, pal, next year until I'm gonna and I'm gonna win in. I'm gonna beat you. And so I remember in 2007 in February, a friend of mine rang me from Dubai. So mate, Faris Sultan's just entered this this Olympic distance race in Dubai. Eh? He's over here trying to perfect. Boom, jumped on an airplane, flew to Dubai. We're at the press comp. He didn't even know. <laughs> I paid my entry fill to go. And I roll in. He's at this press conference. Do I see me? I'm like, didn't think I was coming, did you, mate? What did I tell you in Kona? Every race, mate, you do. I'm turning up. I'm going to kick the shit out of you. So I swam with him. We got out of the water. I'm abusing him as we got out of the swim. I said, I thought you were a big swimmer, mate. I thought you were the big swimmer. You're useless. You've been a muppet. Dropped him on the bike. A friend of mine, Ben Harley, wrote, I rode four minutes into him over 40. He's a muppet at, at Olympic distance. Then I proceeded to run like three minutes. And then I crossed the finish line. They all wanted to interview me. I went, stop. Started my stopwatch. Waited for him to come. He was like six minutes behind in Olympic distance. Stopped my watch. Said, six minutes. You're a muppet. You're a joke. You call yourself a world champion. You're a pathetic joke. And I just abused these guys, mate. Like I went out of my way. to, And I went after Stadler in Kreitschkow, destroyed him. He pulled out of the race. I just, every race I went in, I went. And then I remember that year in Roth, I was going for the world record. And uh, Norman was the TV commentator. And I wasn't leading the bike and we're on world record pace. And uh, I, just, I just dropped the group up to Lauraburg and I was coming down the other side and I just felt, unreal and he'd obviously gone to a live cross on television and uh this this rivalry had blown up because we'd had these races all through germany and i'd made a big scene out of it and he's in this live cross and i, I whistled at him he's standing on the back of a truck literally right in front of me i said hey stadler hey hey i'm talking to you hey and he looked over his shoulder he's like i said you watching this mate watch this because in 15 weeks time you're gonna have to face it and i told you in kona last year mate i'm gonna kill you i'm going to smash you mate you are done, pal. You're a hoax. And I saw the fear fill in his face. He's like, this guy's lost his plot. This guy. And my wife was like, you need to calm down. And I, had, <laughs> and I remember turning up in Kona 2007. Had I lost that race, had I, mate, Farris didn't turn up the start line. He he got diarrhea, pooed his pants the night before or something. Uh, chicken shit as far as I'm concerned. And, and Norman got sick on the bike and, and dropped out halfway through the bike. was vomiting Gatorade. And I think I scared him to death. But I remember standing it in... The day, the morning of the race, there was so much pressure. I didn't even go to the press conference. I was, I'd created this. I just worked myself up so much that I, I that I knew if if it, if it didn't go right into that, you wouldn't you wouldn't be talking right now. I would have been, I would have been the laughing stock of the sport and be done and be done. But it didn't go that way. In two thousand seven, I ultimately won it, and and uh, you know, and, and the rest is history in that sense. But that rivalry was real. It was a real yeah. rivalry. But to, to Norman's credit. And and he shook my hand after the race, and and ironically, of all the athletes in the world, I speak to Norman probably more than any of my peers post career that than than anyone else. Um, you know, we're 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 back to being close again. It was just it's just a competitive, it's just competitive beings chasing a single goal. There can be only one, and 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 yeah, these that desire to win it can you know can be confronting to each other, and they ultimately clash at times. It's the same with Craig. Like Craig's a lovely guy. But we are polar opposites in the way we approach our sport and polar opposites in, in the reasons we did it. And, and we clashed because, you know, we're fighting for that for that single title. And and I believed I, I was worthy of it and, and, and the best. And he believed he was the best. And, and when you verbalise that, it upsets the other person. And it's not, as I said, it's not, I'm not here to be Mr. Congeniality. I'm here to win Kona, full stop. You know, like it's, 
And now I can sit back and say, I won it twice. Like it's, it, it's achieved. It's something you dream about as a kid. And ultimately you either make that dream a reality or you talk about what you wish you'd done. And I never wanted to talk about what I wished I'd done. I always wanted to talk about what I'd done and, and I didn't care who got in the way as long as I achieved that. There's, is there a lack? I mean, I mean, I'm like you, I grew up as a child, not wanting to be, cause I had no hand eye coordination. I grew up wanting to be a triathlete. And so Welshy and that whole crew inspired us, you know, and, yeah. and you know, that whole group of Bevan Welsh foster, um, Simon Skillicorn, all that crew that you just idolized as a kid, cause they were just these weapons and, and, you know, you love them. But there was also that rivalry. Obviously, Welsh and, and um, Alan had a good one going and Scott and, and, and Alan is well known. And, you know, then you came along that next wave and now it's kind of been washed out, hasn't it? The, the sport has kind of washed out. Now, we, I mean, I don't wish for that kind of – it doesn't need to be manufactured, but it certainly is missing that sort of edge, isn't it? The, the sport, can it, take, can it take a black eye? I was reading social media the other day about the Daytona race and one of the journos, Brad Culp, had written an article for Triathlete about and he, he pointed out a few shortcomings as, as, you know, as he can. And someone just launched into him on social going, oh, you know, you're all negative, you're negative, and it's not good, it's not good. And I thought, fuck, you know, it's okay to – not be a cheerleader. It's okay to point the finger. It's okay to be a prick off the course and actually wind this stuff up and, and, and compel yourself to be better. Are we missing a bit of that? You reckon? Maybe it's our generation. I believe it's this, this lack of authenticity nowadays is the cancer that's killing all sports. It's it's, everything's filtered. And I I read that. I saw that same thing. I I thought it was a very fair assessment of the race. I thought, Brad, and and I'm, I'm not a cheerleader for Brad Colbin anyway, but I, I read that article and thought, mate, agreed. Like, and it wasn't a negative article. He just pointed out some of the things they can improve, and I thought it was great. Nowadays, if you're not flying the flag for everybody, it's I always say for every action there is a social media overreaction. Like you can't. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous, and and I think it's because everything's filmed through a filter now, and every, everyone's their own. Everyone's their own journalist because everyone's their own. You know, now you control your own brand through your social media and all that stuff, and you and it's all bullshit and fake. And mm. and and if everyone's got photographers running around filming them training, like just train, man. I get it. <laughs> like, I, I don't understand why I need to. Like I, I, I'm just old. Like I, I'm just. I, I realize I'm old. I don't. I don't get that. I wouldn't have fitted in with this. And and I, I find people like Cam Worth and that a, a breath of fresh air. They're cheeky. They're you know, they, they there's a there's an element of humor attached to a lot of the stuff they do, but they call things out, and and it's 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 nice. I, you know, I I, I miss it, and um, and and I think a lot of sport in general suffers from that, not just triathlon. It's it's, and I I don't know if people have that same passion like you're talking about before um, for, for for athlete stars. I grew up, mate. I, I used to I remember running with Brad Bevan here when I was 19 years. 19 years of age and just taken up triathlon. He used to date a girl called Kim Tunnell, who I went to school with. And uh, Kim's like, oh, I'm going down the beach. You're going to have a run. And Brad's here. You want to have a run with Brad Bevan? I'm, I'm nearly hyperventilating. I'm like, but Brad Bevan? Is he, you're... I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll run with Brad. And I turned up. I was nervous. And I remember we got out of the car with Kim and he's got his Reeboks on. I'm like, oh, my God, it's Brad Bevan. Like, it was just to me. And I remember running alongside him and in my head going, Ask him something. Say something. Don't say something stupid. 
<laughs> ask him about. Ask, no, don't ask him that. That sounds like you're you're, a, you're too much of a fanboy. Ask him about. So, uh, is it true, uh, Mirawini? There's no swimming pool. Like I was trying to be really, like yeah. one of the boys. But I just remember the, how much admiration, how much I wanted to be like him. Just yeah, it was just it, it just was infectious, and that's gone nowadays. People are more into more into how many likes they get on a picture than they are in in, in actually delivering on a performance, you know, like it's, it's more, well, at least I got a good finish line photo or I did a, you know, it's, it's just very, very different. I struggle with it. And it's 100% it's missing. And 100% people nowadays are very, very sensitive to those things, but maybe this millennial generation and whatever the generation is before that, that's how they communicate and that's what they appreciate. And I'm just, uh, I'm just don't, I'm not inside that circle. I, sh- I do struggle with it. It's like, you know, it's that outrage culture, you know, like it's, it's people love to be outraged about something. Like if you put up a photo of your dog and it's got a, you know, collar and they'll go, oh, that collar's made out of something and it's not cool. And that, you know, and all you just, it's my fucking dog, man. I just put it up on, you know, and yeah. people get really outraged about the smallest shit. And everyone's got this, a platform now. Everyone's got a voice. That's what yeah. my whole saying is every, don't post any, every action, there is a social media overreaction. You can see the nicest thing in the world. And someone has to be a dickhead, you know. It's like, yeah. see ya, man. Don't need to deal with this shit anymore. Done. I'm done with you. Yeah. And and and, and, it's, and it's the truth. Like basically, social mm. media is the fictitious truth. Like people, oh, I saw it on, I saw it on Instagram. It must be real. Or I saw it. And you're like, ah, oh, mate, forget it. I'm done with you. Yeah. 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 I think if you're basing your, you know, what people are up to on that, you're kidding yourselves. You know, it's that it's and it's society as well. It's a terrible lesson that you know that one that people get. They get it. They grow a set behind the keyboard, and they think it's okay. They'd never tell you to your face, but you know, in ten years of writing about the sport and having an opinion, I got sledged from every single person. And managers of athletes ring me up and saying, "Oh, I can't believe you said such and such had a shit race." I'm like, "Well, they did. They finished ninth. What do you want me to tell you? They were great. I'm not saying they're a bad person. Saying they had a shit day. That's how it is, you know." And we constantly come back to people with that, and you know, people don't want to hear that things aren't all awesome and that you're right that that lens or that filter that we look through is pervading which means that you know if you are having an opinion you've got to somehow bat it down or justify it you know brad's written an article saying hey this is good but this wasn't oh my god we don't need this in the sport you do if you want to improve you've got to look critically at something and say hey we've got to get better at this and i spoke to someone very very close to daytona and said you know we did some things right we did some things we're going to improve i mean they know that internally. Well, yeah, that yeah. cult wasn't telling them shit they didn't know. It's, it's, it, I miss, I miss the agitated people like yourself who used to write because you need that. Not everything's wrote. Like not everything's nice all the time. And and you need, you need contrast. You people otherwise, people never really understand what it takes or the depth of something or who people. If everything's just upbeat all the time, and mm. it's not to be good. At, you know, articles that are of substance that that, that critique and and say, mate, it, it, they they form the foundation of 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 what the sport's built around. You know, you need you need contrast. You need to talk about the poor performances. You need to talk about the great performance. You need to talk about different personalities. You need to talk about this guy could be great, except but 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 he he, he mm. under the pressure. Well, and then they go, oh, you can't say that about. Well, well, please explain. You're an amazing talent. You do all this stuff, and you don't win. On the day that matters, I call that a, a choker, right? Yeah. Like, what do you? Yeah. Oh, I just haven't yeah. had a good day, and oh, you're mean. 
pure yeah. anything, you know, it's ridiculous. It's like it's like not my A race. It wasn't my A race. My A race. Yes. You're on the line. It's a race. I'm sorry. Totally, totally. I'm with you. But I think it's just it's a it's a product of the time. sign of times. It's it's a, I've realised this because I see it with my kids the, the way they communicate now and how much social media is such a massive part of their life and how it dictates things. I'm like, I'm always trying to say, guys, put it down. Forget it. Who cares? But to them, they care. And you don't mm. understand that. I'm like. I don't understand because I just don't. I wouldn't care, like. But no, it's just different. It's, it's a sign of the times. Sign of the times. And we, we're forgetting. I think we're losing our ability to communicate as well. I think you know when you had to front an athlete face to face at a race, and I, I see you after a race, and I go, "Oh, Maka, that was you know you came seventh. That wasn't your greatest effort or whatever." If I've got to say that to you, you know, the, the younger here I am, the old man now, but you know, the social media and interaction with, with phones has. I think lessens people's ability to construct proper conversations around what they've seen. So it's easy for me to text you five questions, not have to f- watch you go, what the fuck is question three, mate? You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. versus sit opposite you and say, hey, you know, th- this is, you know, and I, the, you know, part of the reason I love guys like, you know, Keenler and that was because you'd ask him a question and they just, you know, Terenzo was another one. I can remember Terenzo at a Kona press conference one day, they were talking about speed suits. And it went down the line of six of you and it got to him and he goes, I don't give a shit. He's going, I don't care. What's my opinion going to mean any difference about the six people before me? Like he was done. And Keenan won his first title and he, he said the same thing to me. He just said, every day I show up and I feel shit and then I win. He goes, I can't explain it. And it was like so raw. And I'm like, that's it. That's, that's authentic. And that's what you're shooting for as someone who's into the sport. But you know, I'm a generation before that who had to actually pick up a phone and dial a phone to ask a girl out or, yeah, you know, right. talk to a friend or whatever. Get I didn't have to just text. Get through the parents. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it, you, you get that. I think we lose that ability to communicate as, as human beings because we spend so much time stuck in a four inch screen about what we're doing, you know, and it and, doesn't and, make And you've created, and I see it a lot with the athletes we work with now. And I, I, I get to sit back from afar and watch them and they create this perfect, perfect person digitally, right? So that they're, they're very fearful to disappoint. Yeah. Uh, they meet people in real life. So they, they avoid it, right? They're, 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 despite being so connected and, and so brave and look so great on, on their feet, they're so, disconnected it's ridiculous it's uh it's it's bizarre and they have no capacity to 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 understand what value they can bring to partnerships and or to how to create value they they only know how to do it digitally and whilst that's one element there is so much more depth to 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 an individual and and people are so much they want to understand so much more about you that you can't just create fake because i I don't know how many times now i'm like ah done with this unfollow this person i'm sick of the I open yeah. about a new glass. Let me guess. I'm going to have 50 things on my feed about, oh, look at my new sunglasses that are, you know, some bullshit. Yeah. Dude, like, give me a break. <laughs> I love that too. I love when a new product drops and all of a sudden seven athletes are all going, hey, look at my new frame. You're like, oh, shit. Just yeah, riding my bike and, uh, geez, the, the sun's not so bright today. Oh, I guess it's an Oakley. Oh, and the next Blake's going, oh, I'm out riding my bike. It's like, oh, I got, you got the memo. Did you? Know that? Did you the, like, if I was <laughs> over a couple of weeks, but it's it's just, yeah, oh, yeah. I miss the old days, but I guess we're all, I miss you guys writing about it and getting the magazine and reading it and go, you bastard, I'll prove something to you. Right? Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. And, and living on those magazines and, you know, and, and 
And I, yeah, I miss that. I, I think there is a lot, it was a lot more, it brought a lot more than, than I can, I guess, verbalize, but it brought a lot more depth to things. Things meant more, things lasted longer, things, things had more substance and value. Where today it's just yeah. gone, right? It's, it's yeah. almost valueless. Yeah. It's real disposable. And I always tell our journos, I just said to them, the pros aren't your friends. They're not your fucking friends. Don't treat them like friends. Be forthright. And if they've had a dud, they've had a dud. And if they call you out, then I'll call them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and we had a couple of really, really good young journos who would write that and, and pick that up. And, you know, I, I remember always walking down Kona with our t shirt on. People would go, Man, we love it. You guys just don't pull punches. I go, We're just telling the truth, man. We're we're not out to get you. We're out to talk about it. But it's one thing to that we have that, but there's also that idea, I guess, of that sort of fast food consumerist value that we have and we place on it. And athletes kind of know now that they've got, you know, a swipe or a scroll or a feed that gets constantly hammered by it. I mean, if you follow 100 people or 50 people on any of your social platforms, you get 10,000 bloody posts a week. You know, you can't keep up with that level of information. So what do they do to try and get that? And, and what are they doing? You know, for me, it's being authentic. I'd rather see a pro athlete on a ergo or on a trainer or something puking and carrying on and looking like a bag of crap rather than seeing that glossy filtered one going, Oh, here I am in the pain cave. You're like, Oh Jesus, yeah, I, really yeah, are you? I'm with you. you know? I'm with you. Um, I struggle with it. I struggle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do too. I, I look like you, we made, you know, we made our digital online presence live on Twitter and on, you know, Twitter was our man was a real big vehicle for us. Yeah. And after doing it for a decade, you're just like, oh, it's such shit. I can't even look at it now. But it is important. Super League, though, I want to I want to just pivot a quick and and talk about that. That how's that been? Is that that journey's been a really interesting one? Um, the concept, of course, I think is good. I like the production of all that kind of stuff. How tough has that been to bring together and then you know continually sort of evolve and and you know also i want to pick your brain a little bit about what you thought of daytona as well in terms of a repeatable product that's that's the key when i saw daytona macker i was sitting there going that's awesome but can you repeat it and are you going to be able to repeat it consistently yeah from the daytona i actually enjoyed daytona i tried to you know there's one part of me thinking why are you rushing to get this event in 2020 but as i wrote about it on a super league thing i said you know who am i to to deny people the ability to race in a, in, a, in a year of the pandemic, right? So mm. I said, I'm going to skip. I got real worried for that, though. I got real worried for those athletes. I, I was like, what's the rush? You're going into the the hotbed of this disease. Yeah. And, you know, you don't know how, well, despite being super fit athletes, we don't know much about this thing. And we're hearing some people have really, really bad exposure to it. And some people, it's fine. But I'm thinking, as an athlete, I wouldn't want to take a risk. You know, my health is everything. It's my nah. tools of my trade. I ain't going, yeah. you know, like. And, yeah. and I sat, so one part of me, then I'm sitting there going, well, who am I? Like, if, to, 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 if you guys want to go, it's your cause, your time, it's your period. All right. So I said, I'm just going to sit back and watch this race, right? And just enjoy it. And I, I enjoyed it. I, I've never quite understood the, the PTO model. Um, you know, it's, you know, I've sat with Charles Adamo, I've sat with all the guys, and, and I'm like, you know, I just ask questions. And some, and I, sometimes I felt with Sam and a lot of the guys, I spoke, hey, why are you so negative? I said, I'm not negative. I'm trying to understand. Please explain to me how, to me, it's Ironman called something else. It's a half Ironman distance, and you're just going to put three or four more cameras, and you're going to put some stuff on screen. I don't understand how that works with terrestrial television. I don't know, understand how that works from a sponsorship space, because if Ironman couldn't pull mega partners, why are you going to be able to do it? 
I, I don't, I don't, unless you're changing it up, I don't, I don't quite comprehend. Maybe I'm wrong. He said, we've got the Collins Cup and, you know, the Ryder Cup and golf does this and that. I said, okay. I said, okay, you've raised 12 million bucks from Mike Moretz. It's a nice chunk of change. And uh, I said, mate, three events, you're broke. Yeah. Like I, I, I said, trust me, I know. Right? Three events, it's once you start putting television, I know what it costs to put a one hour, two hour show on, right? You're talking four hours. You're talking post-production, live streaming, live cuts to digital. So there's the live cuts to NBC digital. You're saying it's going to happen. I said, mate, there's an expectation on quality, amount of cameras. The, the, all, all these things, are, they cost, man. And I don't quite comprehend without mass participation. What's the business model? Like a, Which is what I kind of struggle with too. I kind of thought, yeah, this billionaire, you know, old mate who's chucking in all this money, at some point he's going to want some return, right? Maybe, well, we've got a billionaire chucking in money, but we're all, we're driven around all KPIs. And he's not, he's not, he he's he's driving towards profitability, right? So we're yeah. going to have a show. Yeah, you know, here's an event we're at break even. Here's an event that we've got profit. These two events are losing money. It's a it's a loss making machine. Once you go TV in triathlon. Without the big sponsors, you, you just cannot pay for it. So there's some talk about, okay, let's let's forget terrestrial television. It's not and let's move it all digitally. But you still have to produce a product of value, which means you still got to get the Sunset and Bonds or the IMGs or that to, to come in and film it all or Kizway. There's these new companies that come in and can do everything remotely and just bring the cameras in. But there is a there's an element of, of, of graphics. There's an element of, of, you know, the value of the content you're creating that is TV quality that makes – it attractive to a big sponsor just because you put it on TV doesn't mean Accenture or one of these big companies. Oh, you're on television. I'm going to give you the money. They they put yeah. their, they put their product behind something of substance. It needs to be. They don't compare you with what Ironman does. They compare you with what golf does or what tennis does. Yeah. Right? This is where these triathletes are such small. Mo- I was heaps better than uh, Ironman Kona coverage. I'm like, well, that ain't the standard, mate. You got to come up against what Formula One's doing and what the. Yeah. All these companies have the ability to pick any one of those sports. And then you got to ask yourself, why are they going to pick yours? So if you're not at least on par, then you're behind the scene. And to be on par, you got to spend two million bucks on a TV production, right? And and so do the math. If you're not bringing in the revenue, you got six events in you without prize money, just on TV, right? So I said, I don't understand your business model. Uh, so I so I became the oh, I'm so negative about it. I'm not negative about it. I, I, anything that brings promote anything that promotes triathlon. I'm awful. I love it. I think it's the greatest thing you can possibly do. I love the sport. Like you, followed it since I was a kid, adore it, gave my life to it, and still continue to. But I, I just don't need another failure in in the sport. We've had enough of them, right? So I, yeah. I just question yeah. things. But overall, I thought the race was was, was enjoyable. I love I love Gustav Eden. I think he's a breath of fresh air. Um, you know, he's he's just cheeky and nice and young, and just just has that youthful exuberance as a racer i enjoy watching him race i thought the women's race was was great i actually thought the venue worked um you know from from that perspective and just i i enjoyed the entire day they have a long way to go and i'm looking forward to the to the collins cup and seeing how that turns out and and like we talked about before with with you know media you are allowed to be critical because and it's not i don't want it to fail right i don't it's just i'm asking a question and if you can answer it i'll take that question but I'm, I'm still yet to totally comprehend the business model and because you'll be going back to 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 do your series i guess your series b funding next or we'll call it round one funding because we call their seed funding that they got 
and you better have you better have come along. But I don't know what the KPIs Mike set for them, whether it's just to drop three events and, and put it on television. And they've done that effectively, but you know that's the devil's in the details there. But at some point, it has to deliver revenue, and I, I, I don't think the product they put out yet has that value yet for the big sponsors that they think are going to pay five, ten, fifteen million dollars for the for the event. So it, it's interesting though. Like they've kind of on one side, they've sort of brought in that maternity leave aspect. They're trying to pay um, athletes during this pandemic. They've been sort of doing what I would have thought any union would do. Yes. Um, and that that's obviously hugely valuable because you and I have had this conversation before, I reckon five, 10 years ago about there's just too many inverted commas pros yeah. in, in triathlon yeah. that, you know, old mate around the corner works at a bike shop four days a week, likes to race pros, got a pro license. It's a joke. Yeah. Um, there's got to be, you know, and anyone who's heard this podcast understands, you know, me and my love of surfing and how, what the, the tour has done as well to say, Hey, there's 30 guys, 30, you know, in that elite group. And if you're not in that group, good, try, try again next year, golf, same thing, tennis. I want to be a NFL linebacker. I'm, I'm 80 kilos. I'm not getting anywhere near it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I can't just join. Whereas our sport goes, Hey, yeah, sure. You can kind of be a pro. The federations rubber stamp them and off they go. So them looking after, you know, professional athletes, those that I'm not gonna say those that matter, but those who are in that bracket is fine. I think that's, part of what they needed to do because the PTO is the triathletes union almost, isn't it really? That organization. I got told it wasn't because I brought that up. He said, we're not a union, right? This was exactly what I, it's great that you think that because that's what I thought. I said, oh, so, you know, yeah. we had APTA back in the day. We had all, they multiple unions. So I said, well, it makes you, we're not a union. We're, we're an organization. I said, okay, a professional. We're like, we're, we're going to own the events and, and the triathletes need to take control of the events. We're going to own Ironman. I said, okay, it's a billion dollar company. Okay. Yeah. All right. Who's going to run it? Right. Who's like, who's the brain behind yeah. it? Right. Like it, it is an organ. You need smart people in there. Right. And they're like, well, but that's what I couldn't understand. But no one's ever been able to give me, I've never been able to truly grasp. And I don't consider myself the smartest guy in the world, but I don't consider myself a fool. And I've never been able to grasp it. I'm like, what? You're not a union. If you've told me you're not a union, you're quite clear that you're not a union. But if you're not a union and you're an organ, I say you're just a community of people with a pro card. And you've raised money then, and you just give money to that community. Say so what you're like a socialist government, right? Is that what it is? You just pay everybody <laughs> to. I don't quite grasp it. Like what? I, like please explain because I don't understand. Because yeah, that's it's it's interesting. It's very very yeah. I, I yeah, I'm a little bit at a loss. You're either an events company or you're an organisation that looks after triathletes. The you know, I do think they're trying to. I think their agenda is better than what it has been. Yeah, yeah. I think this version is heaps better. I think Sam Renouf, who's the you know running the show there, has got you know he, he's driving to to support those athletes. Yeah, um, the intentions are right. Phil, that's that's the thing. The intentions, yeah. the intentions, the, the and that's what they say. The, the why they built it, and which is the value of any organisation. The why is right. It needs to happen. But I, it's also it'd be nice to try and align all the stars and try and have them understand you know, to try and make this work and, and, and walk it through because I've been hearing about it for years. I thought the event they did was great. Like I, I, I can't fault that. I just, you know, just hope that doesn't, I hope this Collins Cup is really, really good because I, 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 I asked questions on that one. I said, I don't understand. Okay, you've got the, okay, Norman Stadler's the head of Europe and I'm not being critical. So anyone from the PTO is listening, please, I love what you're doing, right? I'm just asking questions. Feel free to reach out. Um, 
So here's how the Collins Cup's going. You've got Craig Alexander, the head of the Australia or the world, and you've got Norman Stadler, the head of Europe, and then you've got whoever the Mark Allen and Dave Scott running the America. I said, so what happens? Jan Frodeno's out in front, does, and he, he, they tell him they're going to have they're going to have like earpieces in. They're going to be able to talk to their captain. Well, you're telling me Norman Stadler's going to you right, Jan, drop another ten watts and drop him. Like, is that? <laughs> are you fucking serious? Like, number one. Like, how does this work? Like, what's he talking to him about? Like, yeah, okay, I want you to ride away now, Jan. Like, and then what? Yeah. Okay, okay, Roger that, Norman. I'll ride away. Like, it doesn't. It's not golf. It doesn't work like that. Like, it. It's it's just bizarre to me. All these things are saying it's going to happen, and it's going to. It's so dynamic. It's going to change the sport, and and the team, the team guys, the, the captains of the team are going to. There's going to be like a game of chess. I'm like, okay, I'll be interested to see this one because yeah, put down another ten watts. Oh, okay. No problems. You think if I could, yeah, I'd be putting it down ten minutes ago if I could put it, but I just no. <laughs> <laughs> like fuck now. Bizarre. I do, I, and again, I'm, I'm on, I'm on your wheel on this. I support them, and I think you know, as I said, the mission's right. I, I, I think, yeah, where I get a little bit confused is one minute they're offering maternity leave, and now they're doing events yeah. and stuff. Like, it seems a little bit. I don't know. I mean, I'm not on the internal workings. Yeah, either, so either I'm, I'm an outsider. Look, we're outsiders looking in, just. Asking, yeah, that's basically yeah. yeah. But I'm pleased that there's an entity that's putting some money into the sport that created Daytona, which, as you said, it was a good event. I thought the venue worked. We had our man um, Kev McKinnon over there, and you know, we had a chat to him about that, and on on our weekly newscast, and you know, he was talking about it being really good. Um, the the where I struggle is is yeah, is that repeatability of it. You know, as you said, you, the money drains quickly, and you're not competing against Iron Man. People got to get that through their heads. Fuck Iron Man. No one's watching Iron Man anyway. Yeah, yeah. You're competing against PGA, ATP, WSL. You're competing LGP. against. So how do you. Sale GP. These are the. Forget, forget the Formula yeah. Ones and golf. Everyone, whenever you bring something out, everyone's like, well, this is what happens in tennis. You ain't tennis, right? No. You ain't Formula One. So let's let's drop down to the next sport. So let's go to the next boat. Surfing, right? And as you said, they've done a remarkable job. So still don't make profit, though. Still doesn't make no. profit as an entity. But. An unbelievable fan base, unbelievable data. You know they they they're, they're on their way and it's, it works. You know I say sale GP. You know they, that's another sport where you know, a lot of money behind it, but it's it's creating creating a lot of interest. And I'm not even a sailor, but I'll tune in and watch a bit. I mean, that's what we're competing against. Don't, I'm sick of people going. Oh, it's heaps better than Kona. You're just a you're just a sail push. I'm like. Uh, I agree it was better than Kona. It's not that fucking hard to be better than Kona. <laughs> no, like, no. Like, that's not the standard, guys. That's not the standard. And that's what I'm asking is let's let's look at what we, we're competing against because you're, you're making these big, audacious statements that we're going we're gonna to bring in all these hundreds of millions of dollars for the sponsors to do that. That's what you're competing against because Ironman's bringing in $50,000 worth of sponsors because they don't rely on sponsors. They rely on the $1,000 entry that the amateurs at home are paying. That's their correct. Model. That's and so yeah. there's no desire or need to bring in the huge sponsors. That's just that just goes straight to the bottom line. Thank you. I'll take that. The money's out of the mass participation. So that's where I'm I'm, I'm trying to understand. And I do hope they get it right because I, I think it's it's great for for that distance. I think the half that distance, that half high men distance or wherever they're going with that, that two eighty and twenty, or if it goes I think it's a brilliant racing distance, a brilliant, brilliant racing distance. Yeah, I think so too. I think they nailed that um, the length of the yeah. of the race. I, I always think that's why I think Ironman is completely screwed, right? Remember they used to do the Ironman tour where Tinley and, yeah. and Browning and all those guys would get out and race nine Ironmans in a year or something yeah. stupid like that. Yeah. 
you can't repeat that. That doesn't work for the modern day athlete. Those guys were, God knows how they did it. I have no idea how. Yeah, they, and I reckon they're hobbling around. <laughs> they probably. I, I reckon it went for one or two seasons. I don't reckon it went for too long yeah. because it just the uptake on that was ridiculous. But um, Ironman does not work as a. It works as a single day as Kona, and that's pretty much and probably Roth for to a degree. Yeah. But then you've got that distance is repeatable, which means you could do that six times a year. You could make a series out of it. You could create something around that level of or that you know that, that triathlon. Yeah, yeah. They're talking about four a four race series or four races with all the million dollar prize purse, and that will be the four races that all pros do plus one Ironman plus Kona. I said, well. Yeah, that's, I said, remember, there's a lot of athletes that want to do 70.3 worlds. We'll do some 70.3s. There's a, there's a, I said, the, the difficulty thing of, 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 of pivoting or, or thinking you can just take the sport and move it that way is contracts, athletes, you know, like I, had someone said to me, oh, we're going to do PTO or you're going to do Kona. I'm like, you know what, you're going, you're going to do PTO. I'm going to do this Kona event. I've always wanted to do Kona. It ain't about PTO, right? So yeah, it's very difficult just to, to make everyone shift that way. There's a, there's a time that, you know, I've seen it with Super League. We're four years in. And now the young kids are like, I want to do Super League. But, mate, first year they're like, I'm not going that. Can't be bothered. I'm doing WTS or I'm doing – and it was hard. Come on, man. You have to – no matter how much money we put up. And now they've got the young – you know, the athletes are coming, oh, I want to get in and we're going to get in. And, and But it's taken us four years to become part of athletes' contract negotiations so that Super League get, pays a bonus for any athlete sponsor. Before that, yeah. you weren't a bonus. It didn't exist. So that takes years to get – to get integrated into to contracts. It takes years for young kids to go, oh, okay, that's cool. I want to do that and I want to do it. It's the same thing that happened with the Formula One series, which is basically Super League, right, in Australia. You know, I saw the – it was quite instant for me, but I saw that we didn't really have a series. Once I watched that Tui's Blue series, I'm like, that is me. I can't want yeah. into that shit. Like that was – and that was the desire of every young kid. And that was what I always say to my team at Super League was, we need to talk. Forget the audience, forget the athletes that exist now. They're just the pawns that are going to create the desire for the next wave. Let's build that next wave of young athletes, the Hayden Wiles, the Vasco Velasquez, the Vincent Louis, the all these athletes, the Christian Blumenfels, the Gustav Edens that have been doing Super League for the past four years. And now I've come across to Ironman, more so Gustav Christian, or 70.3, and gone, boom. People are like, oh, wow. Well, we had him in Super League three years ago. Was to, no one never knew who Christoph Eden was. We're sitting there at 70.3 worlds last year going, fucking watch this kid go. And had <laughs> done Lausanne the week before, Christian would have been, who, who she won the grand final. He, he would have had the legs and, you know, he ran himself up into six. But these, these guys, the youth is, is the future and the talent. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it's just making them aware of the racing and what the, what the future platforms look like. And PTO has to run for many, many years to create those events and make them attractive and or make them that the next generation of athletes want to do of course tim o'donnell and they want to do it because they're at the end of their career you know yeah. at the end of the career i want a job as the union boss right because i know i've got two years left i'm transitioning their headspace is in oh shit i'm 38 you know and i need a job so i'll run this right but it's it's not about them it's not about how many nice posts they put up on instagram it's about you know vasco Velasco, who's 21 does he want to do it but you've sat across from some nose. I mean, Under Armour, et cetera, aren't exactly little sponsors. You know, you're, you've had some, you know, big names on the shirt. How tough is it sitting across from that lot, you know, justifying or explaining the sport? It must be, I mean, you know, kudos to you for getting it done. Uh, you know, it must be difficult. I can remember even just talking to, I remember we had a meeting with Sony one day 
about our magazine. We're trying to explain the sport to them. We look like fucking idiots. Oh, there's one distance doing this. There's one company that they're privately owned. They run this sport, but then the governing body runs that sport. And then the Olympics is yeah. kind of here. And then who's the world number one? I, I don't really know. You know, they're looking at us going, well, fucking what now? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's hard, man. And they, they, we got close, but they didn't take us on. I probably wouldn't have either after hearing this shit that we were trying to talk. We were trying to give them a sketch and until you're involved, you can't say, here's the world number one, here's the world title, here's what sort of, you know, and again, the prize money was so piss weak at the time. You remember, um, I can remember one Ironman Australia year, I reckon I made the year commentating, I got close to the winner's check, yeah. you know, <laughs> which is terrible. Yeah, yeah, Cause yeah. I, yeah. I shouldn't be paid anything to do that. Um, You've sat across from that though. Like it's tough though, isn't it? Like, and then you're now saying with the PTO and with Super League, et cetera, you know, these people are demanding. People don't get rich because they just give their money away. They need a return. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I sort of learned that the, not the hard way, but I guess moving to, I moved to the States in 2000 after living in Europe and and, and that's the marketing capital of the world. And I, I'd, I'd met the owners of, of Under Armour, Kevin Plank and at Escape from Alcatraz in 2001. The company was four years of old. And I, I sparked up a conversation with Kevin and we came quite close. He's a year older than me. So um, he's a multi-billionaire now. He's still a very close friend of mine. And so I was lucky in the sense that he had some understanding of, of the sport. But to the Americans at that point, there was no, they didn't even know what ITU was. You know, I'm telling him I'm the world champion. He's like, oh, have you done Hawaii? Right, that's, that's <laughs> the only race they knew. And, and that's what's so beautiful about Kona. And that's what PTO is coming up against, right? And they, yeah. Kona to the non-converted market is triathlon. That's it. Right? Yeah. That's and, and you can argue about it. You can hate it. You can piss on them. You can say, I hate Ironman. You can say all the things. It's going to take you 40 years to change people's minds, right? So yeah. it's yeah. just it just is, right? So I just accepted that. So I, when I was sitting across from them, I like, look, I'm going to win that event and you need me. You need me, you know, you, you need an Under Armour winner. You, you, you haven't had a world champion yet. Nike's had a world champion. Adidas had world champions. You call yourself the best. Where are you going to get your world champion from? You know, I'm it. So I was the first ever world champion that ever won a world title. So that's where I integrated and gave myself a life deal with with UA. And and, and it was a friendship. But they, Kevin is the greatest marketer in the world, in my opinion. He's just remarkable what he did. And he was always always holding accountable. When I used to push for my for my contracts to go up every year, and okay, I want this, I want this. And they'd be like, Chris, what have you done more this year? for us than you did that you're saying you're going to do next year and then it was all yeah. a conversation i had to answer that and I, I loved that because we were friends and then he became super big and i used to deal with the other people and i'd always be able to pick up the phone to kevin and then he would always ask so what are you doing next year you want you want your contract two times as much you know why well like you accepted that last year you know what are you bringing to under armor that is worth twice as much this year and and it made me realize that they as much as I have accountability, they have accountability and they have expectation. And it ain't about, oh, yeah, but 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 I'm worth it. Oh yeah, but 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 I'm a really nice guy. Oh, yeah, but but I've done four years here. You should pay me more. They that I'm not the only person in the world. They can they can spend their money on multiple other people, and I need to justify why the spend for them. If they're going to give me a million dollars, I need to bring either a million dollars and one million dollars and one dollars worth of value to them. Otherwise, I'm dispensable. Right, yeah. and and that was always something that drove me. So when I always sat with companies, it was always about making sure I could show that the value came from yeah, winning. It's important, but there was so much more value I could bring to the company in 
in consulting with them on design or, or trying to do things outside of that box. A lot of those companies wouldn't take you up on it and just wanted the brand. But with Under Armour, I was heavily involved in the shoe design back in the day and it took us years to get that shoe right. Even in 2010, I wouldn't wear the UA shoe. And we copied the Tiger Woods deal because Tiger was with Nike but used to use Mizuno clubs. And he said to Nike, I'm not using your clubs until you get until you get the club right. And uh, even though it was in a club with a Nike tick on it, Nike didn't manufacture that club for years. And that's what we did with Under Armour. I said, oh, I'm not wearing your shoes until I'm comfortable that those shoes are as good as the best shoes on the market. So Kevin loved the fact that I held them to account and he would hold yeah. to account. And that was the relationship. And, and I've, I've sort of carried that relationship now when I deal with athletes at Super League or with, with Bahrain or Phoenix and the, and the events we're doing. I'm like, well, okay, you tell me you're worth $100,000, justify it. Explain to me where, where, how you're going to create a hundred thousand one dollars worth of value, and they go, oh, 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 yeah, but, 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 I, but, but I could go to the Olympics. I'm like, okay, and, and you know, well, give me some value. Yeah. Uh, explain to me. And then this way, I realise a lot of it's just it's just because that's their answer. Oh, just because, and and people don't really think things through and and, and understand, you know, that I have the op- that companies have the ability to spend elsewhere, and whilst they may like triathlon, and that's and and company CEOs who like triathlon will invest in it and spend in it. There still comes a point where they're like, eh, okay, you know, the hobby's over, you know, yeah, and and it's it's back to back to, you know, back to some returns, and that's fundamentally the the been the problem with triathlon because you know we've we've relied on mass participation as uh and and the media value is is not as valuable as 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 some of the the salaries we're getting. Yeah. And that's what I think too. I think that there's a, a disconnect too between what, you know, tri- again, it, tri- Trifon is often looking for champions in an industry. So, okay, old mate who works for this company and he's the CEO and likes the sport, let's latch onto him. Then we drain him of anything and he realizes that the returns aren't great. Maybe the television's not as good. He looks at the coverage and goes, Jesus, you know, he has three women pros turn up to an event or, you know, two male pros who you'd know, the rest are all just, yeah. pff, who knows? And it loses its appeal. Totally. And as you said, they're all accountable too. They've got to go back and go, well, Jesus, okay, to the board or to whoever they're they're, they're reporting to, yeah. uh, the CFO, well, okay, why do we spend this much money on triathlon? What do we get out of it? You know, unless they can justify their asses on the block too. Uh, and Facebook ruined it for Ironman. I remember because for years, and I remember used to say it, because I used to get the Nielsen reports from Bob Babbitt, around Ironman Kona and they oh, more than yeah. 2 million people watched it and you know it was huge 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 and so many people watched the the live stream on Ironman live there was like half a million people and then they put it on Facebook and you could see how many people watched it and it was 60,000 70,000 you saw that the number so that became social in that sense you were able to see the exact number of people who are tuning in where before it used to be this bullshit like Nielsen report where they'd say it was had a reach of 1.5 billion people and this and so there was all these but now it's so sophisticated and so so drilled down and 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 I can give you an exact number who watched it and, and I, I thought I remember the first year when I went to Facebook and I remember watching Kona going wow there's only 80,000 people watching this thing I always thought it was yeah. like a million people and uh, 80,000, I'm like, wow, like for years I've been pitching half a million people, you know, a million people are watching it. And I'm like, it's as clear as day. And that, yeah. it's, it's it's not the case. And, and that's... No, I mean, you geo-target it as well and you, you, you know, you fence it and you go, well, okay, there's, you know, a thousand people in Australia watching. So the Australian market's like, what am I bothering? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, and nowadays companies can get that data instantly and go, oh, 
I'll pay you X, right? If you want it, it's, yeah, it's it's a, yeah. it's a tough, it's tough, it's a, it's definitely tough sport to. We love it, and I guess we keep throwing. I, I keep throwing myself at it, and I love it, and I do hope we can bring it because I think it brings so much more to people's lives. That you know, everyone who does it loves it and sees how much change it brings. And I just wish we could get more. You know, I feel the sport has gone so long course centric that you're you're missing a whole generation of young kids that that you're not going to be able to feed it up. It's just a midlife crisis sport. You know, I'm like, hey, yeah. down here, get, get young kids into it again. You know, push, yeah. you know, push from the bottom up, you know, from yeah. the top down. And I think Ironman has indirectly done that because it's become the it's become the monster in the room. It's such a big entity and it's so cool, but it's 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 definitely a sport for 40 and over, not so yeah. for young. And even that's on a knife edge too. You know, that, that, that sport's based on volunteers, you know, coming out and, and supporting. It's based on community involvement. It's based on a whole – it's tenuous, you know. Like there's not anything given. There's not a stadium that everyone just goes to. It's reliant on local organising committees and all the other things. Yeah. And, you know, it's also reliant on a group of athletes that nobody knows. You know, no one goes to a race. Very few people goes to a race to watch Jan Frodeno. As much as he is a fucking genius – I don't know anyone who's going to be wearing a, you know, Frodo t-shirt and rolling up and cheering with a flag for him. It's not, they're going to go watch their mates and watch him put on a clinic. Yeah. But there is a really small percentage. And that's the other thing is that there's no, you know, Mick Fannings, there's no Tiger Woods, there's no, um, you know, Djokovic, Federer's, there's no, that's the other side, isn't it? You've got, you know, marketing on leveraging off those personalities that you see, even though they may be amazing in triathlon, it's they're still relatively unknown. Yeah, and and, and I, I said in my book, you, you do triathlon, you don't play it. So those sports that tend to work are the ones. Yeah, you know, triathlon's like, oh, it's oh, too hard. You know, like, oh mate, I appreciate his talent. Oh mate, it's good, good on you, mate. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to the beach and watch surfing because I like to have a wave and, and I can have fun and, and and I can watch surfing. I appreciate how hard it is, right? And and. Yeah, those sports that you play tend to be much easier sports for people to relate to as opposed to sports that you do. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so. I agree. So, what's up with Super League this uh, after you know the world gets back in shape? What do you guys got planned? Yeah, we well we got hit well as an events company. We got slaughtered this year in twenty twenty. Luckily for us, so we had our we, we raised twenty million at the end of last year. So our second round of funding, um, and we have seven events planned for twenty twenty, which was post Olympics. Our, our whole plan with Super League. You know, we launched in 2016, 17, after the Olympics. And we knew that a lot of athletes were very Olympics-focused, so we're always targeting post-Tokyo. So it was just getting the event series going, getting people understanding, getting the athletes involved, running three or four races a year, trying to build a qualification series with a focus on post-Tokyo. And so we raised – our capital raise happened last year with all set for our seven events for post-Tokyo. We locked in the athletes, we locked in our qualification, then COVID happened. So from our end, we, we moved the offices to London and we put everyone on furlong. We just hired, we just hired, like we, we, we basically had our entire team in place to, to roll out this year and it was just very disruptive on that end. So we've just treated it as a hibernation year. Yeah, we, we've, we've spent a lot to retain our team. We've focused a lot and looked at the product and what we needed to change and uh, we'll roll out post Tokyo if we can. Um, and the, the most difficult thing is, is the uncertainty because different governments doing mm. different things. We, we have an event in Singapore, which was the first event after Tokyo, which was going to be at Marina Bay Sands. We're going to be the first first try, first event to ever swim in the in the water there at the front of Marina Bay Sands. It was going to be a night event. It's going to be remarkable. But now the Singapore government is saying no tourism till 2022, right? So all events are canned. 
So we're like, oh, so, so Singapore may be off. And so we're just working through that. So it is a difficult time. You know, we, we, we draw confidence or, or, or hope out of the vaccine. But I, I, I do believe 2021 will be heavily disrupted. Um, mm. And uh, we're just trying to navigate our way through. We launched the arena games this year, tried to, to mix um, a bit of real racing with this online sort of stuff. Yeah. Quite successful in Rotterdam. So we sort of have a pivot point if we want to go. That's very inexpensive to, to deliver. But again, it's it's hard to monetize, right? It's, uh, yeah. it's just a lock-making yeah. machine. So it's uh, it's just trying to stay relevant. You know, our, our, our primary investor and business partner, Leonid, is a, is a tech guy. So he understands burn rate. And as long as we're building the, the community and building that, that data or building the following base, he seems to be happy. So, you know, I, th I think he's still got an appetite to, to invest. He loves triathlon, but he, he likes where we're going. We've showed that we can make events profitable. Um, yep. There is an interest in it. We just, and, and, we've, and we're, we're hitting our targets on what we plan. We haven't over-promised anything and under-delivered, um, but none of us plan for the pandemic. So that's been a disruptor to everything, everybody. So yeah, fingers crossed we can get something going. We'll definitely have a series at the end of this year, whether it's the seven races that we originally had planned or five, and that will be London. We have an event in London. We have an event in Munich. Have an event in Jersey again. We have an event. We bought the Malibu Triathlon um, at the Off Motive. Um, mm -hmm. Late last year, because um, we want to have an event in the states. We tried to buy Chicago, but we thought uh, we, were, we were uneasy at the time of the year. We have an event. We're looking at the weather, and you know, October in Chicago could be touch and go. You know, yeah. so we thought, look, let's go to California. We're safe. I love the Malibu race. I've done it many times. You get the celebrity element. You get all the all the film studios there. We can sort of use a lot of that content. And and I guess, you know, so Matthew McConaughey racing in a Super League event and sort of broadcast that globally. Or, or you'll use that vision all over the world and add value to our brand. And uh, yep. and so, yeah, from from our hands, we call it a hibernation year. Um, we're still marching forward. We've got an amazing team, and you know, my business partner and CEO Michael Dulce does a. He's a workaholic. He's a. He's a. He's an awesome leader of the crew, and and we've finally got a, a capable team. You know, we we we've got the money behind us to to get the people we need to build a, a proper sports entity. Um, before it was friends of friends, and you know, we just sort of we're sort of doing it and making mistakes and going. And, and you know. I might have been a good triathlete, but I'm definitely, this is definitely a new world for me. So it was, uh, you know, I, I needed to step aside and make sure I put people in place that actually knew what they were doing. And, uh, and which is hard, hey, for someone who's been in control for so many years on so many things, that must be a, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy. But I, you know, you, you and that being said, I, you know, I was comfortable to, to do it because I, you, you quickly realize you don't, whilst you, you have an ego and you, and you think, oh, I can do it, I can do it. Uh, you quickly realize that when you're in a room with people who, who do know what they're talking about in that space, or to say television or something, and you don't, you can't bluff it. They see right through you. And when you're trying, yeah. to, when you're trying to, to sell something or trying to, to convince something, someone or something, if you don't know it, they're going to see right through you and they're going to leave the room. So you have to put that people in place and you have to step aside to do that. And uh, we've done that. So it's perfect. That's part of being a good leader, though, isn't it? At least knowing that you know that the, there's a finite number of things you know, and if there's someone in the room who knows more, then you you know you latch onto them and you, you use that to your advantage. Yeah, we've been we've been lucky. I think Leonid, you know, who I met um, five or six years ago, he's become a you know he's a business partner, but he's he's a mentor and a, and a good friend, and he's he's been a great guy for both Michael and I to sort of yeah as a mentor to say look guys drop the ego, you know. He said look at me, I built a 
I, I know nothing about tech. I built the biggest search engine in the world. I didn't need to know about tech. I didn't mm. find the people who did know about tech, but I stepped aside. I was in the background, right? And that's, and, and you lead from behind, you, you, you put the people in place, but you can push as, you know, leaders tend to think, you, you know, push them, but you can push from the bottom up as well and, and bring that, mm. that value in where you, where the value is needed. And, uh, and so he's been great. So I think both Michael and I have learned a lot from him and we're really happy with the team in place. And like everybody, I think Ironman, us, ITU, or even PTO, we're all waiting on bated breath on, on what's happening with the vaccine and, and whether the world will return to some sort of normality and just how different governments and different people around the world will handle that because they're, they're move, it's, it's definitely moving at different paces and different governments are viewing things differently, you know. In the US, you can drop an event anywhere. They don't care, just wear a mask and you can put an event on. But you know, as, a, as a race director from, from our end, we don't want to do that. I don't, you know, we treat, for us, it was athletes first. I don't need any athletes getting sick or any of my staff getting sick. So we won't we won't launch an event unless we're confident that it's safe to do so, whether it's, you know, with all the COVID regulations, but we, we would want to feel that everybody's safe. And, and there was, everybody could go to that event. It wasn't closed off to anybody. Yeah, I look. I, I I think more power to them that they got the Daytona done. But you know, I, I had several reservations on that. And the long term effects, no one knows what the hell this thing does. And and you know, as you said, your body is your living as a pro. And you go there and get sick, and and people don't understand that there's no data on that. There's no data on long term effects. So, yeah, it's a risky thing to do. And I know that you know, um, talking to Kev McKinnon who did go over there, and he was saying that you know they were taking every precaution. But shit. Look at the NFL. They took every precaution in the world and totally. guys are still going down, yeah. you know, so it can happen. And you look at all the world leaders who have got it and through that whole Trump administration, I think 30 of them have got it, you know, so and it, they should be better protected than most. Yeah, and you're retired for a long time and, and we're doing endurance sport, right? Like I, 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 what's the, it's the young female triathlete, the doctor, she's a doctor and she got COVID and she's been, I've been following it on, on um, oh, what's her name? I can't believe I've got a mind blank, but she's an English girl. She's a doctor. She used to train with Sato and she got COVID and she got really, really sick. And she's been documenting her journey post COVID on LinkedIn. Yeah. And it's, it's horrific to watch. Like she's, she's one of the, unfortunately, one of the people that has had really negative, um, you know, been very, very bad post COVID. She's, she can't breathe. She's her lung capacity's down, but because she's a doctor, she's been able to, to you've been able to follow. It's been fascinating. She's like eight months post COVID. And she is still ruined. She says that she feels like she has chronic fatigue. Her lung capacity's down. Everything. I sit there thinking, geez, you know, you're retired for a long time, guys and girls. And if you get it, it's, and you know, you might be one of the lucky ones. But you know, if in endurance, but who knows? You could, you could do some serious damage. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think anyone's going to take that on board. But um, mate, we're going to wrap this up because they tell me to do this in 28 minutes, and we've gone an hour 25. <laughs> <laughs> It was easy talking. No good. We didn't really talk. I loved, I loved it. Well, it was a breeze. Bloody sensational. Um, hey, have a wonderful Christmas with your family. Um, really awesome to touch base with you again and, and have these conversations. I think they're important um, to get viewpoints from those who know, and uh, yours is certainly one I value. So thanks very much uh, for your time. Oh, too easy. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Life of Try. If you like us, tell your mates and follow us on Instagram at The Life of Try.